Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Well, here we are again, episode number 158 of the Voices in My Head podcast with special guest Andrew Peterson. I know that most of you probably know Andrew's music, and if you don't, then, well, this is a great place to get acquainted with it because Andrew is one of our favorite artists here on this show. He is, uh, he, well, I'll talk about him more in the intro when we actually start the interview here in a moment, but he is just uh, truly a fascinating person to me, one of the great writers of our time. doesn't matter if you're talking about novels or music, uh, I just don't think that you can find a better writer, honestly, and it's always an honor to have Andrew on the show. This is the fourth time he's been on. I, I'm always uh, grateful each time that we have him. A couple quick things before we get into the interview. Man, the album release is coming very quick, and uh, it's Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations is the name of the record. It's going to be awesome because I get to go to Chicago for the release. I'm going to be a guest on Under the Radar, which is one of my very favorite radio shows. We've had Dave, the host, uh, here on the podcast in the past. And I get to be the featured artist this year, which I'm so excited about. That is one of the coolest things ever. Lifeway, the day that the album releases on March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day, by the way. If you go to LifewayWorship.com, on that date, you will be able to buy sheet music for all the songs on my album. At least that's what I've been told at this point, so I'm trusting that will be true. You'll be able to buy um, like loop tracks to be able to play along with your band at the church, uh, wherever you go, and all kinds of resources. So even though it's an independent record, uh, Lifeway is helping us out a lot with the publishing side of things, so I just could not be more grateful. Noisetrade.com is featuring the album as their new and notable uh, the week of release. And uh, we're also going to be having a a partnership with itickets.com the week leading up to release. There's just so many great announcements that I I have for you, Um, not the the least of which being that uh, Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite and, and honestly the top theologian, that I can think of, especially in regards to the Old Testament, listened to the album and gave us a glowing review. And I, I just, gosh, I, I pinch myself sometimes wondering, like, Lord, when does this, uh, this goodness end? Because you've been providing such wonderful things. Anyway, with that out of the way, go to rickleejames.com slash hymnbook and you'll be able to find out more information specifically about the album. That's H-Y-M-N, hymnbook, just like a hymn you would sing from from a church. Uh, well, I'm not going to delay any longer. We're going to get into our conversation with Andrew Peterson. He's got a great new album called The Burning Edge of Dawn. Lots of cool songs. We talk about not only his music, but his writing of his books, which is really where we lead into in the conversation. And we even get to hear about what it's like for him to play on the Grand Ole Opry. So, great show for you today. Here is my friend Andrew Peterson. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. God bless. You got all that emotion that's heaving like an old And you're drowning in a deep, dark well I can hear it in your voice That if you only had a choice You would rather be anyone else I love you just the way that you are 
I love the way you made your precious heart. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. I know it's hard to hear it when that anger in your spirit is pointed like an arrow. My guest today on Voices in My Head is one of the great writers of our time. Not only is he an acclaimed singer and songwriter who has been putting out fresh and original musical ideas for over a decade, he's also the award-winning author of the four novels that comprise the Wingfeather Saga, a tale that puts him in the literary sphere of authors like J.R.R. Tolkien, George MacDonald, and C.S. Lewis. His newest record, The Burning Edge of Dawn, produced by Gabe Scott, is garnering much well, uh, much deserved critical acclaim. Uh, This is his fourth time as the guest on the Voices in My Head podcast. Andrew Peterson, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, sir. Man, it's really great to to speak with you again. Last time we did this, uh, I was actually in Nashville, and it was around Easter time, and uh, we were discussing some Easter-ish type stuff. Oh, that's Uh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. It was a good time, and and, uh, since then, I've been able to to finish reading your Wingfeather Saga book. It's been great to check out the new album and just see some of the things that are going on with you. I've been following you online, seeing you. It looks like you've been able to play a few times on the Grand Ole Opry, and uh, that's that's pretty awesome in itself. What what was that like? Oh <laughs> uh, man, that that show is a uh, total trip. It's uh, I've done it a few times before, and every time it is just uh, hot. Well, I, it's hard to explain. Not only are you a little bit geeked out because of the fact that you're a part of this like hundred year old institution, you know, this thing that's just been going on forever, and uh, but it is chaos. It's mm. like. You're backstage, and there, you know, Lord knows how many people there are on the show every night. Probably 50 to 100 people. Uh, and backstage at the Ryman is pretty cramped anyway, but there's just people and guitars and banjos and mandolins everywhere. And they're all, you know, walking down the hallways, and you, you literally show up with no sound check, no rehearsal, um, and you just kind of wait in befuddlement until somebody goes, You're on, you're on, and you run out onto the stage in front of. <laughs> all of these people who are not your fans, you know, they're, they're people who are country music fans and tourists to Nashville who are, who've been out carousing. Wow. So it's just the craziest night, but man, it, it's just, it's always a, a blessing. Like it's a huge trip to get to play, uh, for a really willing and excited audience. Very different than playing for a, a bunch of people in your church building. You oh, know what I mean? yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like, <laughs> These folks are just like really pumped to be there, and they're all with their friends. It's more of a party atmosphere than sure. I, I'm going to sit and contemplate every line, which <laughs> I love that for its own reason. But uh, anyway, it's a blast. And this last time, my son Asher and my daughter Sky got to uh, perform with me, which was just a, a great blessing. Oh, that is fantastic! What a great experience! Wow. Yeah, uh, I call my I call my kids my secret weapons. <laughs> like if, if, if people. People may not like me, but once they see that my, my kids are playing with me, then they're in. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now I'm curious when you're when you're on the Opry. I mean, a lot of your songs would definitely fit within that country music genre for sure, just because of the instrumentation and uh, the way that so many of your songs flow. But what what were some of the songs you played last time you were on there? Do you remember? Yeah, we did. We only got two songs, and so I put one of them. Uh, we did two shows in a row, and one of them was. Uh, the song I wrote called Everybody's Got a Song, which was a, it's kind of a, 
I actually wrote the song at the Ryman in the dressing rooms on one of our Christmas tours, but it was kind of my, my love song to Nashville and hmm. what a wonderful, strange, uh, like there's just no city in the world that's like this one. Um, hmm. as far as the, the collision of all of these musical genres and, you know, the, the kind of the history here, all this, I just totally love it. And, uh, so I wrote a song, uh, about Nashville that I played and then I played, um, be kind to yourself. Mm. Um, and, uh, so it was, you know, all these little, you know, I don't know. I probably psych myself out a little bit, but when I'm like, I don't know how to introduce this song without talking about the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it's pretty, pretty frank about the fact that this is a song about the way God loves us, you know? And, and, uh, anyway, or at least the intro is that way. And, uh, but you know, people are, people are fine. I think especially in that world there, I think people, even if they're not uh, Christians, are way more willing to engage that kind of conversation than sometimes we give them credit for. So sure. I just kind of had to go out and go, well, this is who I am. This is the song I got, and uh, and trust that if you're if you're kind and you're not using the gospel as a sledgehammer, then people are gonna maybe respond to it. So. And it's kind of interesting how the country music audience is sort of open to that. Years ago, Tracy Lawrence had a song that I think kind of summed it up. I think it was called "When the World Had a." had a front porch or something like that and there was a line i always remember in that song about him being on his grandpa's porch where grandpa taught him how to cuss and how to pray and uh, <laughs> and I, I always thought that was kind of funny because that's kind of like the country music experience when you're at the opry it's sort of those yeah, those yeah, two, yeah. it those can, two it can be a very uh cultural nominal christianity you know yeah um, it's, it's like you'll you'll go out and get sloshed but but you also love your mama, you know, yeah. kind of weird, <laughs> weird thing. But uh, I, it was funny about it too. I remember I opened for um, Allison Krauss one time years ago, and uh, and you know it was at a church. Uh, it was like a fundraiser show that she was playing, and so Allison is a Christian, and a lot of her guys in her band are Christians, you know, and they'll sing gospel songs occasionally in their sets that Ron Block has written, and uh, and so I thought I was just you know, totally, uh, you know, talking to people who, who kind of assumed that if I'm going to get up on stage and I'm going to sing these songs, that they're going to assume that I'm a Christian. But I, but it was a mostly country music crowd that was there that night. And so I'm playing these songs that are like, you know, if you know my music, you know that I don't, it's pretty obvious that I'm a Christian, you know. I'm not, right. not just kind of talking about learning to pray and cuss with my grandpa. Like, there's actually <laughs> songs that are like verbatim from Scripture and like, Whatever you know, what I'm saying like yeah, it's, sure. Like, you can't say it. But then after that show is over, these people came up to me and were like, "You know, I got this funny feeling. You must be a Christian, <laughs> are you?" And I was like, "Did you not hear me say that I was a Christian 50 times during the song? You know, where I was talking about Jesus and the gospel." But in that world, I think that it, it doesn't necessarily go without saying yeah. that if you talk about Jesus in a song, it actually doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually a believer it just means that you're you know a part of a culture that talks about jesus and songs you know sure. so anyway it was it's it's pretty fascinating to me i, yeah. I love, love the chance the fact that i don't know i'm not really a country artist but if, if i have a mandolin or a dobro on my record sometimes i can slip in yeah yeah sure well it's very interesting that especially being down south that whole culture it's almost like you're 
you're just Christian by de facto, you know, just, you were yeah. like, I'm in the South, uh, I guess I'm a Christian, you know, type thing, and yeah. it's very interesting, yeah. but, well, let's, those are some neat opportunities, I'm, I'm really glad that you've had a chance to share at places like that, and uh, there's a question we're going to get to in a couple minutes from uh, one of the listeners that actually kind of has to do with uh, genres of music and, and asking you I want to get to, but before we do that, and before we get too much more into your music, um, I've, I've been dying to talk to you about the wing feather saga because um i i don't have a lot of people to talk to about that have read it in my in my circle of, of friends around here so what better than to talk to the author uh, about the characters and <laughs> things um but i i finally finished the last book and i loved it and and i i don't want to give away any spoilers of of the book but in that final book um the the power of a name is so important and i thought you did such a a beautiful job of uh with the villain character um nag the nameless as as you keep going uh, through the book calling him that and and until this book i've kind of thought well isn't isn't nag his name if he's nag the nameless he, he does have a name but but there's a lot that has to do with um the importance of a name and that's one thing that i think we've lost maybe in our culture a, a bit um you know until fairly recently your your name meant something and your name and your family and i know you're a person that does a lot of naming uh, i i believe you you name your home you know and i believe you <laughs> yeah it's just things like that i wonder if because i don't want to go into spoilers about the book but i wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, the power of a name and, and the effect it has, because if somebody re reads the Wingfeather Saga, they're going to see that that is truly um, one of the, the huge keys to the climax of the book is the, the power of a name. Wow, well, you you kind of just summed it all up uh, in your question. Kind of what my answer would be. I, I don't, it's, hard to, it's hard to know. Uh, how do I answer this? Um, like I, I know that when I when I started the Waiting for the Saga, I was uh, struggling myself with um, identity in Christ stuff, and that's mm -hmm. you know it's been one of my it's probably a pretty central struggle for most people. Um, this I, idea that um, you are a new creation when you're in Christ, and so and God has now this the secret of your new name, you know that. I guess, I, I don't know all the scriptures that it talks about, but there's this idea in scripture that we have this name right in the book of life that God knows that, that, that is our new name, you know, uh, in Christ. And so I, I, uh, I don't, I have a hard time believing that, you know, my, like typically the names that I hear about myself are, uh, knucklehead, sinner, uh, <laughs> jerk, blabbermouth, uh, whatever, you fill in the blank, you know. Um, in fact, yesterday I was doing an interview, and their, one of their last questions was, describe yourself in one word. Mm. And I sat there for about five minutes, and I could not think of a positive word. Wow. Like, I just I, I just ended with me just going, I don't know how to answer this question, because everything I can think of to describe myself is negative, um, which is uh, just a little window into how deep that... that um, that wound can go, you know, mm -hmm. this is the, or how deep the, uh, the disbelief that God actually has named me his son, you know, like it's just this long, long struggle that I've had. And so, uh, with the wing feather saga, like, it wasn't like I was trying to, to like teach kids about how <laughs> names work. It was just that this is, this is a, uh, 
the, the struggle that I was dealing with when I started the books just ended up kind of fleshing itself out. And it was a way, almost without me realizing, a way for me to explore um, what that actually means, you know, what the power of your identity, um, like what you believe to be true about yourself is in direct relation to what you believe to be true about the gospel, about God, right? Sure. And the way he sees you. And so, um, and all of that affects our behavior, you know, what we do and how we act and the things we say. So, so anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it was just, uh, in, in this story, like the thing with Magnum Aimless, you know, honestly, when I named him Magnum Aimless when I was writing all the kind of backstory history stuff that didn't really show up in the books, um, until the very end, uh, I thought it was just a funny name. Yeah. You know, I, there wasn't any like big reveal that I expected, um, but as the story developed, you know, all the way that it hopefully will do is that the story itself surprises you, uh, the yeah. author, and so you, you end up kind of r- rounding a bend in the path of your story and seeing this thing, and you're like, whoa, that's a creepy connection to something that I didn't even know mattered yeah. two years ago when I started writing this, and I think all that naming stuff ended up kind of growing out of the soil of the story. Um, as I was going, yeah. so anyway, yeah, it's hard to talk about it without spoiling anything. Yeah, um, yeah, I wouldn't want you to for sure because it's it's worth waiting for. But well, and well, that's and that's interesting what you said because as I got to the end, and and the name became so key, I thought, oh, did he know this back in in book one? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and what I was wondering about too is that I've I've often heard authors that that write fiction say that they kind of don't know where their characters are going to take them that they have to follow this journey with the characters which which seems a little strange to people that probably don't write fiction because you think well you're making these characters up but have you i I guess you kind of have you've probably found that in your experience in writing them that they you are kind of following them maybe that they're almost writing themselves more than you're writing them yeah i mean there's there's definitely a great mystery at work uh in the in the storytelling process like I, you know I was the same way people told me that your characters would start to do and say things that you didn't really want them to do and say mm-hmm. and uh, and I was a little suspicious I was like oh really uh, and then sure enough it, it happens which the trippy thing about it is theologically that is what kind of blows my mind about it like when you start thinking about predestination and free will and, and all this kind of stuff the fact that I'm the author of this character's story, and yet within that character's story, I, I allow him some freedom to be who he is and to make these choices without ever losing sight of the end of his story. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, is, it is a uh, a totally <laughs> totally trippy thing. Like I I yeah I don't know how to explain it other than that. Just to go like it completely changes the way you see. Uh, you know God's use of suffering in your own life and the way. Uh, the way our stories play themselves out and the fact that, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like the fact that this character finds himself in a story without knowing that he's fictional, um, you know, I mean, you can go really weirdly philosophical on this kind of stuff. Right. And and yet I have this relationship with this uh, kind of invented creature that is based in love. Like, so so Janner Igaby, the main character in his, these books, um I did. I didn't know exactly how the very last scene would play out in the books, if if you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I did know that I in, I intended for Janner's story to end in glory. Mm-hmm. And so, 
in order to take Janner from this 12-year-old kid at the beginning of the books into the hero that I wanted him to become, uh, I knew that I had to uh, basically wreck his life. I had to, yeah. I had to wear him down and dismantle who he thought he was, and then put him back together again in order for him to be able to choose this thing, this uh, that that is the climax of the book. So anyway, all that to say, it's just a, it was a weird experience to have your characters or to have the story itself surprise you. Like I can yeah. name five or six things. Like I don't want to spoil anything else, but in the monster in the hollows. Uh, the cloven in that, the monster in that story. Yeah. Um, I did not know who the monster in the story was mm. until about halfway through the book. You know uh, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, That's cool. so like, I all I knew was that I wanted the kids to be in Banrona and learning about the culture of the Green Hollows and learning to fight and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh yeah, it makes sense that there would be some creature that would slink in out of the forest and terrorize the town. Yeah. And uh, I wrote all that, and then the day that I realized that that was actually a way bigger part of the story than I thought, I started crying. Oh. Um, not just because I was close to the story, but because I I, I experienced what it, uh, the fact that God is a better storyteller than we are. Mm. And so, you know, if you if you move forward in the songwriting process or the storytelling process that you yes, there's this dance that happens between your will for the song or the story, but you also very hold very loosely to it because you trust that the Holy Spirit is going to speak you, yeah. and you you allow the thing to become better than you can do, hmm. hopefully. And that's not to say that it always works, but um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I could talk about this for days. Yeah, well, you know, let's let's kind of dovetail off of that into the the newest album that you have because you know talk about not knowing exactly where a character's going from everything I've seen that that you've written about um, in, in talking about. Uh, the burning edge of dawn it seems like there's maybe a similar component of kind of going into the studio not really with songs ready to go but kind of seeing where they were where they were going to go to from can you describe that experience a little bit because I, I don't know have you ever done an album quite like that before where you came to the studio and and kind of wrote them there versus writing them before you got there no i've never done that before and and it i would def, definitely not want to ever do it again Oh, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was so scary, man. Like, I, it's the kind of thing where it happened kind of by necessity because we were there was a deadline, and I'd been fin busy finishing the last book and releasing the greatest hits album, and, and just it just kind of snuck up on me because I was busy and I didn't have any songs. And um, it was, uh, it, I think it worked. Like, I, it's my favorite record I've ever made, um, mm. and um, I'm it came together in a way that that um, I'm very proud of as far as Gabe's work on it and the everything from the artwork to the lyrics to the whatever. It just, I, I feel like it, um, I feel very grateful is my yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> uh, I would never want to rely on that kind of uh, recklessness. You know yeah, what I mean? Like sure. if it works once, like if you, if you're, uh, how, how do I put it? Um, um, yeah, anyway, I just I, I would prefer to write the songs and be working on it diligently over the course of a year or two um, and go into the studio with at least a rough outline of where the songs are going. Sure. And then you build off of that in collaboration with these other people. And this time it was just a lot of fear. And I was, I was in the middle of a depression 
what I'm told was depression um, hmm. this time last year, and uh, and I've never, you know, I've been, I, I, you know, I've always been pretty sensitive and pretty emotional, but this was just it went way deeper than it ever gone before, and uh, and that was where I was when I was making this album, um, which which I think was a was helpful as far as uh, giving me... Well, it wasn't like I had the courage to go get more honest. It was that I didn't really have any choice. I was kind of shoved into that corner. I didn't know what else to write about other than what was happening right now. And sure. so the songs ended up being a reflection of this uh, kind of panic that I was in. <laughs> mm, wow. So, so I, didn't, I couldn't pick and choose as much as I usually do what I'm willing to share with other people. Oh, you know? sure, sure. Um, and so I, I remember, it's funny, I remember hearing Rich Mullins say this one time, uh, it cracked me up, where somebody was like, uh, man, your songs are wonderful, you must be, uh, you're such a you know, spiritual person or whatever. And Rich said, oh, no, 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 this is only 42 minutes. There, he said, this is my best 42 minutes of the last three years. You know, <laughs> The rest of my life, I'm a scoundrel and I struggle and I've got all the things. But, you know, there is an element where an artist like, or a songwriter or an author or whatever, chooses to reveal what he chooses to reveal publicly you know what i mean yeah sure and then there's another big part of you i think this is healthy that you share with the people closest to you or your uh, pastor or your counselor or whatever and so this was a situation where i i was writing these songs um as i processed this depression that i was in and some of them i was like i'm never going to play this song for anybody i just had to write it and get it out or whatever yeah and then, kind of by necessity, Gabe was like, well, we need songs, and, you know, they encouraged me to, to share these things. And so, um, yeah, I'm still a little bit bashful when I play some of the songs live, because I, yeah. I never want to be, uh, like, bleed on the audience and turn the audience into your counselor, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that was what the process was like, and yeah. I hope it never happened again. <laughs> well, it, it really, I mean, it made for a really cool album. I mean, I think that, and, and I, I have to say, by the way, um, I, even though I know it wasn't about this podcast, I have to say on uh, We Will Survive, every time I hear I've got these voices in my head, I always say, he wrote that about my podcast. And that's what it was. So, uh, <laughs> Actually, it was funny because there was two albums fairly close together. Nick Flora put out a, an EP last year, and his like second song on there had had voices in my head is one of the lyrics and i was i told him i said you guys are just all referencing my podcast in your albums this year i don't know what's kind of a <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's just that we're all just as crazy I think that, that's, the thing. that's what it is we're all, <laughs> we're all dealing with the same nightmarish sinfulness oh man well it's it's really it's really a, a beautiful record i love it I, I mean i've i've loved all your stuff so it's sort of like you, you don't uh, I mean, you've won me over a long time ago as an artist for sure, but I, I'm always fascinated by that. Um, you, you mentioned Rich Mullins, and and um, you know I, I do see a lot of similarities when I listen to both of your your music. I think your your lyric writing, um, it's I feel like you've inherited you know a, a lot of of what he started. You know, sort of like you've moved into that realm. And uh, this year I got to. Uh, Actually, it was last year, but the album comes out this year. I got to record at a place Rich Mullins used to record there in Nashville at Uno Moss Recording Studio, and so oh, yeah, it was. It's a, it's actually in a house. Doug Surratt is. Uh, 
is the engineer and, and it's in Doug's home and he's got the uh, the Rich Mullins uh, like gold record up on the wall of the mm-hmm. uh, the one where Rich is like covering his face with his hands I can't think of the album right oh, now songs. but yeah songs right yeah. and so it was fun to get to to you know have him share like stories of working with Rich and different things um, but I, you know, it's it, it is fun when you when you do tell stories like that because I I think that's an incredible way to put it. Those are the best forty five minutes of my life. Um, that that's just that's great. I've never heard that story before, and yeah, and yeah. I think it's so true. Um, well, the the record itself, your your new one. Getting back to your record, I think it's um, it, it it really is a very vulnerable vulnerable record. I think, as you mentioned, and and there's some places. Um, I mean the the apology song. I believe it's called "I Need to Say I'm Sorry." I, I apologize if I if I said the title wrong. That's okay. Uh, um, but uh, I don't have the lyrics right in front of me right now. But but songs like that, I mean, are uh, just just great reminders of of the humanness of the the vulnerability of our life. And I think it's great that you included songs like that on the album because I think there are times that we need to. Um, just we need to to dig in with music to parts of ourselves that we sometimes don't want to face and i feel like you do that with a lot of the lyrics on this record and uh so well thank you yeah well done well i i want to be conscious of your time and i also want to ask some of the questions that some of our listeners wrote in for you and i have to start with this one just because uh it's a mutual friend eric peters wrote this in and uh, and i'm just looking forward to hearing the story behind this uh he he wrote in and said to ask you is it true that you literally beat up eric peters on the side of i-65 in alabama uh kind of true it wasn't a it wasn't a serious beat up it was a jokey uh, ribbing, you know, digging him in the ribs, kind of like while sitting on top of him on the shoulder of the road. And the reason it happened was because Eric, uh, as you guys may or may not know, he's just he's one of my favorite people on the, on the planet. But he he sometimes gets in this Eeyore kind of rut where he just kind of like goes, "No, I'm just a blah blah blah." And uh, and anybody who loves him knows him and loves him. Uh, also knows that very, like sometimes you're just like knock it off like you, yeah. you are a lovely human being you're a great songwriter stop doing that you know and so I just over the years have gotten a little bolder about uh, trying to break him of the habit of of like over self-deprecation and, uh-huh. uh, and so anyway we were driving home from a show in Birmingham that we'd done together and uh, he was kind of doing that thing and I was like hey man if you do that one more time I'm literally going to pull this car over and drag you out of the car and kick your tail on the side of the interstate and about 10 minutes later he said some like thing that was down on himself and i just casually turned on the blinker and eased the car over under the shoulder of the interstate. Like, what are you doing man what are you doing and uh anyway yeah i just walked around to the passenger side and unbuckled the t-belt and dragged him out on the side of the road and, and uh and jabbed him in the ribs and said knock it off so, yeah, that turned into uh a kind of the the uh the joke on the tour that he and i just did together last fall where i told him you i want you to come on tour and open for me because i truly think he's like one of the best songwriters in town um and but i said you're not allowed to go eeyore if you do that during the show i'm going to call you on it during the show <laughs> and so uh anyway so i threatened to beat him up and there were a few times where i actually did have to like interrupt him during his song intro make him stop uh which <laughs> hope you know for the most part got some pretty good laughs oh man I love that guy. 
That's great. Now he he is he's he's one of my favorite writers too. I I think he's uh, a very unique talent. And uh, I, man, I, I wish I I've never gotten to see both of you together live. I've seen you both separately in concert, but I I wish I would have been able to have been on that tour because that would have been oh, one of the, the highlights. One of my favorite tours that I've ever ever gotten to do. Partly because my son was the drummer. Uh, and then uh, Nathan and Greg, the bass player and electric player, were two kind of new friends mm-hmm. and uh, great guys. And they played with Eric. Eric played with the band too. And like, like it's one thing to see Eric play with just him and a guitar. Like he's really great at that. But like his songs just beg for drums and electric guitar and yeah. keys and stuff. And so hearing him with a band, full band, is just one of the best things ever. So I, yeah. I loved it. And watching my son back out there was, was a blast too. Yeah, well, and you know, one of my favorite Eric Peters songs is is the Chrome song, you know, and and, oh, yeah. and to hear him tell the story about writing about a bicycle that he just saw kind of abandoned somewhere in a cold place, and I was like, man, what a cool idea! Who would think to write a song about a bicycle, you know? And and it turned and it turned out, but it, and, it, and it's a great song, really awesome song. So, yeah. well, we could go on about Eric for a while, but I probably ought to ask some of these other questions real quick while I have you on the line. Um, this is one that I, I found interesting and I alluded to earlier. Uh, Daniel Coots wrote in and he said, if you could do an album or a song in a genre that's different from where you generally fall as an artist, what would you like to do? Oh, wow. Uh, I wouldn't, I have thought about doing a full on bluegrass record, uh-huh. um, before, um, still kind of writing the same kind of songs, but rather than having, uh, you know, rather than having the songs just be kind of seasoned with bluegrass instruments, yeah. like actually pairing it all down, like bringing in a really great band and, yeah. and producing it kind of bare bones bluegrass. That's, that's one thing I thought, of. but I also got a part of me that would love to, to make a rock album. Like I, I, you know, when every time, um, you know, like I, I grew up listening to rock and roll and love it. And there's a lot of great bands out there that are doing this kind of great music, but you know, kind of anything from like the Switchfoot stuff to Coldplay to whatever. Like there's a part of me that's like, man, I wish I could do more than just kind of, again, season, my folky songs with some of the sounds that that, that those guys, because, you know, that happens in some of my records, some of the songs sure. are bigger. Um, but there's a part of me that's like, I wish I could have uh, put together a rock band, like a really great rock band, and write the songs with them, you know, sure. um, and just to see what would happen. Uh, yeah, my brain's always going to... The only genre that I... And as a genre, like, I've never made a worship album before. Huh. Um, and I I don't really... I don't really want to, hmm. um, uh, because I, I don't know, like it, it's, it's tricky for me. I, it would probably not work hmm. because there would be too many words. Well, <laughs> 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 uh, there is a part of me that it's like, I got, I gripe about worship music a lot. You know? Yeah, I, sure. I struggle. It's hard for me sometimes. Sometimes the songs we sing in church, I just am so upset because yeah. I feel like from a, a craft standpoint, the songwriters are lazy. Yeah. Um, and then there's some really wonderful modern songs that people have written hymns or whatever. Um, and I go, why don't we sing that one more often? Come yeah. on. And then I realize, well, maybe it's harder than it looks, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's really easy to kind of sit back and go, why don't you write better songs, blah, 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 without ever having really tried it. So there's a part of me that kind of is like, so that I will be humbled. Uh, I'm tempted. I've been tempted to try to like write a body of songs that would be for corporate worship, but uh, I'm a little nervous about it, to be honest. Very cool. So yeah, that's, there's three genres that I wouldn't mind trying. 
You know, you know, as you say that, and, and all three, I think it would be cool to have a, you take a stab at it. But man, I would love to see like Ricky Skaggs produce a bluegrass album for you. Like that, yeah. that would be amazing. I, I, mean, I would love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let me give Ricky a call and we'll set that up for uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, just you know, really, I know we're about out of time, and I wanted to make sure I got these last two things in before we go. Um, Lonnie Bumgarner said he he wrote in asking for a friend. Uh, where the inspiration for the song more came from? Oh wow. Uh, thanks for asking about that song. That's one of my the favorite ones I've ever been a part of. Um, that song uh, was written with one of my heroes named Pierce Pettis. Um, if you guys are listening and you don't know who Pierce Pettis is, P-I-E-R-C-E, and his last name is P-E-T-T-I-S, mm-hmm. uh, please go find his music because he's truly one of the finest songwriters in the world. Um, kind of came up with David Wilcox and that, that world, like, uh, tons of people have recorded his songs, like, um, Sarah Groves has recorded his stuff, um, we used to perform a couple of his songs live, like, he's just one of these kind of, like, uh, tremendous talents that isn't hugely popular, uh, unless you're a songwriter. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, like, so if you're listening and you are a songwriter, then it behooves you to go and track down Say, start with Pierce Pettis' album, Making Light of It. Um, that's the first one I would get and listen to that one 80 times and take copious notes and then try to write a song. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so uh, anyway, Pierce is amazing. And so I emailed him um, back when I was writing the songs for The Far Country and uh, asked him if he had any lyrics laying around. I was like, well, I'd love to co-write with you, but I'm not good at writing in the same room with people. So, but if you had some lyric snippets, uh, I'd be all ga- I'd be game. Sure. And so, like minutes later, um, he sends back like maybe ten uh, kind of throwaway lyrics that he just kind of stores on his computer, I guess, like pasted into his email. Uh-huh. And every one of them was better than anything I'd ever written. <laughs> like, like seriously, everyone you could I could have written a whole album out of just his throwaway lyrics. Um, they were all so inspiring, like just the kernel of the idea and everyone was just great. And so more was one of those. And so, um, so he had, uh, so basically every, all the good lines are his, like whenever somebody comes up to me and says, man, I like the song more. And they quote a line. I I just go, well, that was actually first better. (laughs) Secretly hoping they'll say that it was one of mine, but it never, Wow. Um, but, but yeah, the, uh, he, he, so there, there's no music, um, so I wrote the music to it and added two verses in one of the choruses and uh, and sent it to him and he approved and he actually has has um, used that song in his own shows as the the uh, encore because wow. he thinks it's funny that that people would cry more and more and then he would come out and play more. So, uh. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> um, that yeah, that's the story. And, and one of my favorite, if this is the last question, I can tell a quick story about it. Sure, song. sure. Um, I got to. Uh, I got to sing that song at the funeral of a friend of mine here in Nashville. Mm. And, uh, and I've actually sung it at a few different funerals now that I think about it. Um, and which, which is exactly what it was for. You know, it's like the, the idea of that song was to, um, be a reminder at, at a graveside, you know? And, uh, and one little side note, I don't know if you, anybody who knows that song has noticed, but the, the drum beat in that song is a heartbeat. Oh. Um, it's the duke, the duke. The whole thing, and uh, and at the end of the song, the heartbeat keeps going and then stops abruptly. 
Mm. Um, so, uh, and that's the end of the album. Just wow. a little side thing that has probably been Chive's idea. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah, I got the I got the honor of singing that song at a friend of mine's funeral. He, he died at 29 of uh, heart failure that mm. he knew he had, and uh, he was buried with his hands opening up the front of his suit to reveal a Superman S. Um, <laughs> I love it. He was he was a big Superman fan, and uh, he wanted his friends who weren't Christians to know that there was more uh, after death, and that he believed in the bodily resurrection, meaning he believed that he would, at the resurrection, have a heart and a lung that right. worked. In, in other words, he would have a body that was glorified like Superman's. <laughs> so, that's amazing. One of my favorite memories is standing on stage with his casket right in front of me, uh, looking at the Superman mess while I was singing. Wow. More for his family and friends. So. Wow. That is fantastic. As I sit here wearing my Superman shirt today, that has special meaning for me. Oh, <laughs> that's, really? That's oh, funny. I'm a big Superman fan. So, you, yeah, that's that's, I'm totally on board. I'm glad you told that story. Well, the last thing I have is not a is not a question. It's actually a statement. If you've ever wondered if your household name, uh, this is going to decide that for you. Uh, Stacy okay. Stacy Allred wrote in, and she said, "I don't have a question, but Andrew's name has been mentioned enough in my house that whenever we discuss presidents, my son always says Andrew Peterson instead of Andrew Jackson." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, good. So you have arrived. Wow. You're, you're officially a household name and a president at this point. Wow, so uh, I wonder if I could, if I should, if I should uh, start some kind of campaign. <laughs> it is the season. It, you know. it truly is. It, it, it couldn't possibly trump what we've already seen. Ha ha. Oh, anyway, terrible. the wow. terrible, awful <laughs> joke. Saving, saving the worst for last. Everybody goes, never listening to this yeah. podcast again. Terrible. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate so much you uh, taking time to be with us today. And let me ask yeah. you, as as we close, is there a song that you would like me to play from the new album to conclude this episode? Oh man, uh, sure. I, I mean, I think the the dark before the dawn is is uh, it was the first one that I wrote for the record, and it's mm-hmm. the one that kicks off the album. And I think it's also the one that kind of uh, sums up. Uh, the whole sentiment of the thing. So, yeah, if you want to play that one, that'd be great. We will definitely play it right now. So, Andrew Peterson, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thank you. I've been waiting for the sun To come blazing up out of the night Like a bullet from a gun Till every shadow is scattered Every dragon's on the run Oh, I believe, I believe that the light is gonna come And this is the dark, this is the dark before the dawn I've been waiting for some peace To come raining down out of the heavens on these war-torn fields All creation is aching for the sons of God to be revealed Oh, I believe, I believe that the victory is sealed The serpent struck, but it was crushed beneath his heel Oh, I know the wind can bring the lightning Oh, I know the lightning brings the rain Oh, I know the storm can be so frightening 
in my head podcast i hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com follow me on twitter at rickleyjames like my artist page on facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames and keep up to date on what i'm writing at my author page on amazon.com make sure to follow my calendar on the website and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert a speaking engagement or a book event you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for pair booking agency that's P-A-R-E booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.